Hi, I'm Sarah Carter, and this is Daily Dispatches, a podcast that helps me pay attention to what I'm paying attention to. For more about this project and the ideas behind it, you can listen to the first three episodes, but otherwise we're just going to go ahead and jump right in. This podcast is part of a larger storytelling project called Daily Fieldwork. You can find more information about Daily Fieldwork at our Instagram at Daily Fieldwork on Instagram or feel free to reach out via email at imdailyfieldworking at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. It's Saturday, April 16th. My friend Kevin has a birthday party today. Um, had a birthday party today. Um, he made hot dogs and some of them had peanut butter and jelly and autumn with, um, Lucky Charms because he used to work at a hot dog place called Tubby Dog and they rented a hot dog machine from Art Pancakes Rentals and it had hot dogs and steamed buns which I didn't know Kevin really likes. Boy, it was a real difference, those steamed buns. I never really thought about it before. But I had two and I wasn't even hungry and, and Emmett said... I would have more than one because I said, wow, I'm so full. I'll never have it eat food again. And he was like, oh, just wait. You'll eat like 700 hot dogs or something to that effect. He also shared that he got a BB gun for his birthday. So we went to get it and we shot some cans and I didn't do too bad. And I even learned how to shoot sitting down. But when I tried to shoot while eating a hot dog and aiming the BB gun, I was unsuccessful. Another highlight was when little children got on the roof, which years ago would have scared me to death, but all the boys there are like arborists or some kind of like construction, not construction, but like building. So they just like folded out all their little ladders and clamps and clamped it to the house and followed them up like they were rock climbing. And I thought, man, what a difference it is to live in your 30s than in your 20s and about how much calmer my sympathetic nervous system is now, knowing that dads will take care of children who want to get on the roof. Anyway, happy birthday, Kevin. It was a very fun time. Also, they had Klondike bars that were Heath Bar flavor, and they were delicious. And there was a baby there, too, actually. Two baby, two babies, and one dog. All right, oh, actually, two dogs. Yeah, Chihuahua too. All right, bye. Sunday, April seventeenth. It's Easter today. It was a really good Easter, though a cold and rainy day. Um, got to see lots of friends today. Got to make a big potato salad this weekend and a French silk pie. Got to drive around in my truck. Um, uh, It was just fun. I got to dye an Easter egg. Um, Kevin and Kylie got a, a pizza oven and that was really fun. Making our own pizza today. And... Play the piano. That was really fun. I'm watching the kids do the Easter egg. 
it was just a nice day. Um, I, I used to host Easter a long time ago, uh, meaning just like two or three years. And because it's like my favorite holiday or one of my favorite holidays. And it was when I was teaching full time and in grad school. And I'd still like whatever tiny home I lived in, like I would invite like 40 people, like all the people. And a lot of them came and it was very fun. And it was a lot of work, and it was worth it to me to have a full house because it was a time in my life that I didn't get to be close to people because I didn't have time. And I lived way out in the country. And I was talking to Kylie um, about Easter plans, and I realized that I'm not as sad that I don't get to host anymore. I'm, I'm in a really small space now, and it's like harder to do that, but I... it. It's not a huge deal because I get to be around so many people that I love now. So I think what I really wanted was that feeling of family on a holiday. Um, But also, I would love to host again soon. And um, and one Easter, we shot off fireworks, which felt really good. Um, And one Easter, somebody rode a motorcycle with a sidecar and gave everybody else rides around the neighborhood. And that was good because in that neighborhood, there on Sundays, like people just rode stuff. Like dads would ride their kids on the lawnmowers. People would like ride their little tiny souped up um, motorcycles. Bob would drive people around on his four wheeler, his golf cart. So I felt like I finally got it in with my, um, friend with the the sidecar motorcycle anyway I hope y'all had a good day didn't didn't have to eat a lukewarm deviled egg I like my deviled eggs cold to be honest or really really fresh um that mid-period between making them and then final refrigeration is is kind of tough have a good week April 18th um, I got to go with Squibs to see Garth Greenwell and Raven Leilani read for this funny review thing. And it was great. And one thing that Garth Greenwell was talking about was like the beauty in. Finding the beauty in the mundaneness of everyday life. He was talking about, like, living out west, Midwest, with, like, two cats and a partner and never, like, wanting that life for himself, but realizing it's, like, very beautiful and that there is space for art in that kind of light. And um, someone was mentioning, you know, whatever that quote is, like, what makes this night different than others, which is like what people say, you know, what, what is the story about? It's about what makes this night different from all others. I can't remember that who it was, it's attributed to. Um, but he was talking about something that I think about a lot, which is like, what is not different about this night than all other nights? Um, or what, what is universal about like this experience? I think that's like one of the things I'm most drawn to in in images like 
uh, evidence of human hand on something or some kind of like a shared history um, or unity between things that isn't like, and it isn't expected. And I just, I see that in a lot of the work of, of, um, my favorite authors. Um, it's cold again. There's a freeze warning tonight. I had to pull my bird of paradise back in, got my palm over by the fire, got a fire going again. I had to go back to the wood pile. This spring is just creeping along. I mean, I like a spring. I like a cool spring. Um, but you know, I know usually about this time, things are starting to warm up more consistently. And I will say my closet's been half winter, half summer, um, for a couple months now. So anyway, also, um, another cool thing I heard today was that Delaney has been hanging out with the new bull after work. He's like two days old, three days, three days. He's getting old now. He's like three or four days old, but, um, apparently he's a little love bug and he'll let you come and, um, pet him. So that will certainly be on my agenda as soon as I can make it back from work on time. Anyway, lots to think about today. Hope you're doing good. Bye. My gym bag broke and I haven't gotten a new one yet. And uh, so I'm using like this big like overnight kind of bag. And when I get in my truck, it lays on the horn and it honks the horn. <laughs> it scares me to death. <laughs> hey, it's 420. Uh, um, I saw this sign today on the Alabama Folklife feed on the internet, even though I'm supposed to be off of Instagram on Wednesday. And it was a Legends and Lore marker for Granger's Ghost. And it said, sounds of a fiddle and tapping feet can be heard near the grave of Granger Harrison, buried in his dancing shoes in 1860. And it reminded me of the Coon Hound, uh, the Coon Dog Memorial Graveyard in Northwest Alabama, where my family is from. And I know about it because I saw Jamie Barrier from the Pine Hill Haints talking about it on a movie one time, like a documentary. And I know him and his wife, Kat, from Cornerstone. And she was the first person that I ever saw that had a Southern folklore zine called The Spitter. And she also had a cool band that I remember listening to on Facebook uh, that sang all kinds of, like, chants, I think. They did the Atlanta Braves and a bunch of other different songs. I'm not really sure. This was probably 15 years ago. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, I looked up the Coondog graveyard, and I want to read you about it. Established in 1937, the name of it is Key Underwood Coon Dog Memorial Graveyard. In the small grassy meadow deep in the rich, thick wilderness of Freedom Hills, Key Underwood, Underwood sadly, sorry, 
gosh. I'm trying to read ahead. Uh, in the small grassy meadow deep in the rich thick wilderness of Freedom Hills, Key Underwood sadly buried his faithful coon dog, Troop. They had hunted together for more than 15 years. They had been close friends. The burial spot was a popular hunting camp where coon dog hunters from miles around gathered to plot their hunting strategies, tell tall tales, chew tobacco, and compare coon hounds. Those comparisons usually began and ended with Troop. He was the best all around. Underwood knew there was no place in the world Troop loved more than that camp. It was only fitting, he decided, that Troop spend eternity there. On that dreary Labor Day of 1937, Underwood said goodbye to his legendary coonhound. He wrapped Troop in a cotton pick sack, buried him three feet down, and marked the grave with a rock from a nearby old chimney. On the rock with a hammer and a screwdriver, he had chiseled out Troop's name and the date. A special marker was erected in his memory. Troop, who was half red bone coonhound and half bird song, was well known throughout the region as the best. He was cold-nosed, meaning he could follow cold coon tracks until they grew fresh, and he never left the trail until he had treed the coon. Out of one hunter's devotion to his faithful coonhound was born the Key Underwood Coon Dog Memorial Graveyard, which has become a popular tourist attraction and is the only cemetery of its kind in the world. Other hunters started doing the same when their favorite coon dogs died. Today, more than 185 coon dogs from all across the United States are buried in this spot in northwest Alabama. When I buried Troop, I had no intention of establishing a coon dog cemetery, said Underwood. I merely wanted to do something special for a special coon dog. When columnist Retta Grimsley Johnson interviewed Underwood in 1985, he told her that a woman from California wrote him one to know why he didn't allow other kinds of dogs to be buried in the coon dog cemetery. You must not know much about coon hunters and their dogs if you think we would contaminate this burial place with poodles and lap dogs, he responded. <laughs> Some of the burial grounds had zones are crafted of wood some of sheet metal. Others are not unlike the stones found in a normal, in quotation marks, cemetery. But of course, the names of the deceased are different, and so are the epitaphs. For example, listed among the dead are Patches, Breacher, Smokey, Bean Blossom Bama, and Night Ranger. And etched alongside these names are tributes such as A Joy to Hunt With and He Wasn't the Best, but he was the best I ever had. Hunter's famous Amos, a hound that was named Ralston Purina's Dog of the Year in 1984, is buried here as well as several world champion coon dogs. To qualify for burial in this unique cemetery, more than 185 coon dogs have been laid to rest. It has been said that three requirements must be met. The owner must claim their pet is an authentic coon dog. A witness must declare the deceased is a coon dog. A member of the Key Underwood Coon Dog Memorial Graveyard Incorporated must be allowed to view the coon hound and declare it as such. We have stipulations on this thing, 
said late O'Neill Bolton, former caretaker of the coon dog graveyard. A dog can't run no deer or possum, nothing like that. He's got to be a straight coon dog. He's got to be full hound. Couldn't be a mixed up breed dog, a house dog. <laughs> I highly encourage you to check out the website, which has a silhouette of two dogs in a graveyard with two men with paunches in the graveyard. It's really something to behold. Um, anyway, and on this video, Jamie was talking about the ghost, seeing the ghost of a coon dog. Um, I have never been to the cemetery. I would like to. I'm actually going to Northwest Alabama pretty soon for Decoration Day of our family's home church um, and the graveyard. So we'll see. But there are lots of um, grave markers on the website that are beautiful to see. Okay. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, 421. Speaking of legendary dogs got the news today that the elderly dog that lives up by my landlord's house, Ollie, was put down today at noon. He was 19 years old. This dog was wild. Um, he could barely walk for the past couple years. I lived here almost three years. And in that time, he's been kind of barely mobile, but loved to get out and like just mess around. I would often see him in my back little yard patch at like 6 a.m. Or, you know, out here mixing it up, trying to mix it up with the coyotes or trying to be wild. Um, apparently, he was a little nippy in his, as a young a young dog. But in his golden years... He was very sweet. He had a giant goiter on his right side. And uh, he was never super close to me, as in, like, would never come in my house because he did not see well or hear well in the time that I knew him. Um, but he was very nice. And I would try to hug him as much as possible after he lost his sight, bring him some treats. And, well, anyway, Ollie, we drink to you today, friend. And um, he was a good old boy, and I hope he is running again without pain in the great dog trot be beyond. Cheers to Ollie. Hi, it's Friday. We did it. 422. Whew. What a wild one. Um, on Fridays, I try to read an excerpt to make it special, to celebrate our hard work this week. And this week, I'm reading an excerpt from Perfume, The Alchemy of Scent, by Jean-Claude Elena, who is the perfumer of Hermes. I don't know if you're supposed to say Hermes. I don't really care. But you get it. I think another um, person might have taken over by now. I know that there was a female apprentice in that particular house. But I saw this excerpt on a writer and pal, Jeff Sintner's Instagram. He's a very scent-centric writer. 
and um, I knew it would be a great book. So I got one, um, and I want to read to you just this part where he is talking about the idea of desirability and scent. Um, I, I really liked these two little, um, I guess it's three paragraphs overall. Um, so it's a chapter called chapter six perfume with the quote from Picasso in art. Everything is a sign. Every day that I work with perfumes, I am in search of beauty, yet I still don't know where to, where it is to be found. What I know is that in order to enchant you, to charm you, to tempt you, to influence you, to fascinate you, in a word, to win you over, I have to manipulate and make a show of what I know to make the perfume desirable. Desirable. The adjective that for the classical philosophers marched the marks the limitations of art. However, the fact that perfume evaporates and disappears is proof that it cannot be possessed. Desire remains desire. So it is through the use of memory, through the remembrance of shared fragrances, that I create the seductiveness of perfumes. Deliberately or spontaneously, beginning in the womb and throughout our lives, We fashion our olfactory memory by repeated acts. As we grow, olfactory memories become part of our emotional life. That is why we like the smell of our children's skin, our partner, clean towels, a scarf, an old cardigan, nail varnish, buttered toast, jam, coffee, tea, chocolate, vintage wine, almonds, nutmeg, pepper, thyme, rice, petite boon, flowers, fruit, honey, lavender, pencils, glue, paste, waxed furniture, cut grass, and rain. And why, by contrast, we dislike the smell of unwashed sheets, sour milk, cooked cabbage, garlic, certain paints, stale tobacco, the subway, bleach, blackboard rubbers, cat pee, and wet dog, especially someone else's dog. And although the difference between a pleasant or an unpleasant smell is sometimes simply a matter of personal history, associations with meetings, with happy or painful events. We have common memories that enable us to share emotions. Since olfactory memory determines our choice of perfumes, for the composer of perfumes, our olfactory recollections become objects of desire. Contrary to popular belief, therefore, the sense of smell is not vague or rudimentary, but a complex and accurate faculty to the point that the brain is able to use a few fragments of olfactory information conveyed by a handful of molecules to reconstruct the total image 
of an odor, provided, of course, that is remembered, which is remarkable, but also an illusion. The pleasure of senses is also an intellectual choice. Anyway, I love this part of the book. I'm not in as deep as some who I know, um, but I enjoyed learning the parts that are applicable to life. And I hope that you have a wonderful weekend. Great job this week. Good hustle out there. And I'll see you next week. <laughs>